Welcome to The Portable Pastor, a podcast of relevant biblical teaching, linking ancient truth with today's challenges. Each week, Pastor Mike will share God's Word to help you and remind you that God is pro-you. So download the outline from fbcclover.life and get ready to hear today's teaching. Here's Pastor Mike. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Portable Pastor Podcast. I'm Mike Stafford, that Portable Pastor, and I want to bring you another teaching from God's Word. So if you'll take your Bibles once again and turn to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to land there in just a second. Unless, of course, you're driving. If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road. You don't need to have any wrecks out there. Just enjoy. So we've been taking a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. We've covered the Beatitudes, the need to be salt and light. We looked at the fact that Jesus came to fulfill the law. Then we begin to look at the various topics that he mentions in that sermon. And since we started looking at at those various topics, I noticed that they seem to be presented in an order. They build on one another or or at least lead into the next topic. It's as if Jesus is talking about one topic and then reminded uh, of another. And so he talks, he goes into that discussion. So notice the progression of the sermon topics by Jesus. He started with unrighteous anger, and said to go things, go make things right with whoever you're at odds with and leave your offering. If, if you realize that you're at odds with somebody in a worship experience, leave your offering, go get right, then come back and bring your offering. Maybe Jesus was thinking about struggling marriages because his next topic was lust of the flesh. And we know that any, any persistent, ongoing strain on a marriage can cause a spouse to look to someone else for emotional support or even to meet a perceived physical need. So if that search comes to fruition, then divorce is going to follow that. So Jesus deals with divorce next. And so now we're going to read the portion that deals with making promises or oaths or vows. Now that may have also stemmed from the previous divorce discussion on the Mount, but I think it's going to be more wide sweeping. So let's let's read that portion of Matthew chapter 5. Follow along as I read. Let's start with just one verse, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, every law-abiding Israelite knew from where Jesus was drawing this teaching. They all knew Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. They had heard teaching on Numbers on Numbers 30, uh, chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by his pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. They had heard the Pharisees teach these over and over. And they even heard them teach about Deuteronomy chapter 23 in verses 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. But if the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So every Jew, every Jew had heard these commands and they had heard them repeatedly, but, but they were not keeping them. They, they weren't. They were, they were promising and crawfishing on all those things all the time. So, well, crawfishing is a, is a euphemism. You may not be familiar with that. It means to back out of a promise because 
Anyone who's ever tried to catch a crawfish in a, in a clear, shallow creek knows that they move backwards to get away from you. So, so people in Jesus' day were making promises and breaking them. They were like crawfish. They, there, were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of dishonorable people there. And then they could have cared less about reputation and trust. That wasn't on the front of their thinking at all. If they saw something more valuable, they would break their promise every time. Now, there were also honorable people there too. And some of these honorable people put a lot of stress upon themselves by making these unnecessary promises. Since they felt the need to keep their word at all costs, they would rather suffer a heart attack than be known to be dishonest or, or undependable. So both of these same types of people, by the way, exist today. Some people overly stress about keeping their promises and others break them like they're, they're meaningless. They're meaningless. Have you ever noticed that the more untrustworthy someone is, or or maybe the bigger the promise is, the more someone might feel the need to swear on something greater than themselves. It starts out, I, I promise I'm going to do it. Then, you know, if, if it's a bigger, a bigger promise, they, they say, I promise on my life, I, I will do it. Or I promise on my dog's life, I will do it. Then it gets to the point where it gets so big that I swear on my mama's grave, I'm going to get it done. Put my hand on a Bible, I'm going to do it. I swear to God. And they just keep going up and up and up. There's no higher promise than that last one, I swear to God. But even after after promising on that that name, the highest name, some people still crawfish when they see a bigger, better deal. Now I ask myself, how, how can people live like this? How, how can they live like this? Why do some people break promises so easily? And I really looked at this. And so one reason that I think is, at least for the lost, it's an, there's an unquenchable desire for personal gain, even at, at any cost. The value of a, of a better deal is greater than the value of being known as trustworthy. Let that sink in. The value of a better deal is greater than the value of being known as trustworthy. Or maybe you want to think of it this way. The value of a thing worth breaking your promise for is more important than your name being synonymous with a good character. That's a horrible, that, that, is, a, that is a dangerous mindset. It's one based on, on complete narcissism. It's a narcissistic worldview and it breaks relationships everywhere. Everywhere that it rears its ugly head is going to burn bridges. So that person thinks that the world revolves around them. That, that, the, that we're all here to support their well-being. Good or bad, they are the most important factor in human existence and they must have their needs met even if it, if it means breaking a promise to somebody else. That's how they can break their promises so easily. Now, I know that there's honorable people too. And I think the reason that honorable people break their promises and they get so stressed about their promises is that they... They promise too much. They, too often, they bite off more than they can chew. They have good intentions. Maybe they're Christians and religion, not, not faith, but religion pushes them to make these promises based on those good intentions. They want to help. God told them to be righteous people to help others. The problem is, is that they, not God, but they base seeing righteousness on doing as many good works as possible for other people. 
And they think they, they must do everything for everyone to be a good person in good standing with God. So, so they make promise after promise after promise, wanting to keep them, intending to keep them, but incapable of keeping them. They want God to be happy with them, but this is, this is immature Christian living. And they live with heavy stress because of these promises. If indeed, you know, they're, they're making promises from these intentions to, to, to be, to be right, to be righteous, and they put this undue stress on them. I call these promises pubescent promises. <laughs> let me explain. I know that sounds weird, but let me explain. When a, when a person goes through puberty, yeah, they go through the next phase in their life cycle, right? Their voice begins to change when they get excited and they, they sound a lot like a, a, a middle school band warming up, right? They, and they grow hair, some more than others, but they start sprouting some hair. My nephew was in school and he came home and, and, and his mama said, what'd you learn today? And he said, mama, I learned that people grow hair in public places. <laughs> so that's that's a part of, of puberty. If you've raised a teenage boy, you know that one hair on his chest will sprout, and that makes him invincible, and he's never going to wear a shirt again in that house, right? And teen girls, because of the hormones seemingly from hell, <laughs> they begin to think and act erratic, you know, very different than they did as a child. And all teens, all teens going through puberty begin to feel the need to be what is it, dope or, or sick or lit or whatever the next term for cool is. In my day, if someone saw you and, and said, word, you know, you were the stuff. I can remember dressing like Don Johnson and being too fly. You know, do you remember being fly? Anyway, so so puberty, puberty is a drastic life change. And the same is true in becoming a Christian. At salvation, a person goes through a new creation. Their vocabulary changes, their faith grows, and faith can can make that person feel invincible. So they become bold and, and aggressively confident because of the Holy Spirit. They they think differently. They behave different differently. And just like a, a pubescent teen who can't handle some of the new pressures of being a teenager in, in, their, in their changing body, a new Christian has a, a great and, and pressing need to do good, to please God, to earn his favor, but, that, but they don't know how. And so much so that they can't handle the pressures of all these new desires. So they tend to make spiritually pubescent promises because they want to help they want to bless and they want to extend the kindness of God to everyone, but they just can't. I mean, that's what God wants, right? The problem is that they make promises with these good intentions and they're, they're physically incapable of doing so. So one of these two reasons, I'm, I'm convinced, one of these two reasons people break their promises um, is... One of those reasons is what compels people to do that. Either, either they're lost, only caring about themselves, and they're making promises that, that they can break if something better comes along, or they're saved, and they have these new good desires welling up in them, but are, but are too immature in their faith to realize their limits. Both make promises, and both break them. Now, Jesus addresses this this horrible, promise-breaking, trust-busting, you know, character trait. Maybe he's he was still thinking about divorce, you know, breaking those vows, breaking those oaths, but I think it's bigger than that now. I think that he's making another sweeping clarification to the law. So follow along as I read Matthew chapter 5, 34 through 37. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, 
either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is, it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let, let what you say simply let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So Jesus says, don't make an oath at all. Now, this is another example of hyperbolic teaching by Christ. Hyperbolic means exaggerating something to show the importance in, in a truth, in a, in, a, in a truth, something else. Like in the statement, um, I, I'm so hungry I could eat an elephant. That's a hyperbole. I can never eat a whole elephant, but my hunger is intense. And so in my language, I'm, I'm showing you that it's intense. I'm getting hangry right here. So Jesus said, don't, don't make an oath at all. That's, that's hyperbolic because Jesus knows there are conditions requiring oaths. He knows this. When we're baptized, we promise to live for his, his cause, for his glory. When we take communion, we act upon our vow to remember the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. When we're married, we make vows of, vows of faithfulness. When we buy a house, we promise to make payments. When, when you join our church, you promise to bring the pastor goodies and free creams and lotions. No, I'm just kidding about that. But he knows there are situations requiring vows and promises. So this is hyperbolic. This is an exaggerated statement. What truth is being so forcefully emphasized here? I think Jesus is making three points. Three points in the following statements, right? He says, don't make a promise with God's name on it. Again, what's 34 and 35? What does it say? But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. He said, don't promise, don't promise with heaven, earth, and Jerusalem as collateral. They're not yours to leverage. They are mine. That's what God says. When you promise with God's name on it, you put him on the hook. And if you don't deliver, it makes him look bad to a lost world. So don't connect your promises to his great name. Secondly, don't make a promise based on what you think you're going to be able to do in the future. What's verse 36 say? And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You don't know the future. You don't even know when your hair is going to turn white, if you have any hair at all in the future. How can you know if you're going to be healthy enough or strong enough or have time enough to keep that promise a month from now? You, you only know what you can do today. And, and banking that you will have time next week and finding out you don't will bankrupt your trustworthiness every time. So don't make a promise based on what you think you will be able to do in the future. And number three, Avoid giving the impression that God's okay with broken promises because he is not. He is not. What does verse 37 say? Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. God is neither okay with you breaking your promises, nor is, is, is he okay with anyone thinking that one of his own is, is undependable. He calls this evil. He gives him a bad reputation. Most of the world... Most of the world, I, saved and lost people, will still say that broken promises are a manifestation of bad character. That's, that's changing. <laughs> that's changing. As the world becomes increasingly more evil, the Bible says it's going to, that's going to change. But think, I mean, new, new politicians, uh, we pick on them a lot, but new politicians, they break promises a lot. 
they, they get a new position with new power and they make pubescent promises. They have this new authority and they don't know how to handle it yet. It's common practice, but that don't make it right. And if it, they're going to they're gonna lose confidence, actually their constituents are going to lose confidence in them. They won't lose confidence, but we'll lose confidence in them. And, and future votes may not be there if they don't keep their promises. So, I mean, they even might be seen as, as evil. So avoid, avoid giving the impression that God is okay with broken promises. So what Jesus teach about this? about oaths, vows, and promises. Don't make a promise with God's name on it. Don't make a promise based on what you think you're going to be able to do in the future and avoid giving the impression that God's okay with broken promises because he is not. So Jesus knows that this puts us in a pickle, right? I mean, we we want to show the love of Christ today and in the future and, and and we can't know tomorrow. So what is a Christian to do when someone asks them you know, to do something. What, what's a Christian to do? Well, number one, do it. You know, do a realistic assessment. Is doing this request at this time a reasonable possibility? It might be. Maybe so. If it is, just say yes. If it isn't, then say no. Say, say I, I, I want to. I really do, but I can't. I know my limitations. As, as much as you want to help, you have to be smart. You got to be thinking. You are representing Christ now, not just yourself. Now, don't use this, men, as an excuse to get out of doing stuff. If your wife says, honey, will you please haul off the trash tomorrow on your way to work? Now, don't, don't be an idiot. Don't reply, honey, how will I know if I can do that tomorrow? God doesn't want me to promise that to you. What if I wake up late and and what if I have no strength? What if I'm sick? I don't want to break a promise to you, sweetheart. I don't want you to think of me as evil. Only God knows what tomorrow will bring, babe. Don't be an idiot. She's only going to feed you vegetables for dinner. She wants you healthy and she's going to wake you up two hours early with a bucket of ice water. Do not say that to her. So you understand what Jesus is saying here. Be realistic. Be realistic with your promises to help other people. And secondly, when someone asks you to do something, be honest in your response. Just be honest. Say, I will try or I will do my best to get that done for you. But you got to really do your best. Don't make it a lie. Try hard to meet that need. And and if, if you don't intend on doing what you promise, but you still want that desire, you know, that satisfaction that comes with with I promise I'll get it done for you, it's better just to keep your mouth shut. The sweetness in that moment of making that promise will turn sour in a second. And when when you break that promise, it may not even be just sour. It may turn into be sinful. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 5, 5 through 6, it is better that you should not vow that you should not It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. So be honest. If you can do it, say yeah. If you can't, say no. But don't make a promise that will turn your yes into a lie and destroy your reputation and hurt his great name. Don't do that. Now, let me just wrap this up by saying this. Jesus made some promises to Everyone who would trust him, he would save them from the eternal consequences of their sin. 
He promised them forgiveness of sin. He promised to walk through this life with us. He promised to send the Holy Spirit to us to help us. He promised eternal life in heaven to everyone who would believe in him and trust in him for salvation. He will never, ever crawfish on those promises, ever. You can trust him on this. Will you do so today? Just as you are counting on him to keep his promises, others may be counting on you to keep yours. Let's vow to do that. Let's vow to be honest and to do our best, but not set things up that are impossible to meet. That just hurts everyone. Let, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I ask that you would give us the, the, the kind of day where we're realistic about what we can do. We want to do so much for your glory, for your name. We want to do so much, but God, we can't. We can't do all that. Help us to be realistic. Take these assessments to be to respond honestly. Father, I, I hope that, that you are encouraged that you know, in, in the reiteration of your teaching, the teaching of your son, we, we, we're doing our best here. But Father, help us. Help us with your spirit to grow, to mature in our faith to the point where we don't have to make these things and be, these promises and be stressed out about them. Father, thank you for this teaching. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I hope that was encouragement to you. Come back next week. We'll have another teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. But until then, have a, have a great week. Email me, mike at fbcclover.com if you'd like to start an online conversation. I got that up every day. Well, anyway, until next week, have a, a great week. Be blessed. And remember, if you're walking with God, Christian, if you're walking with Him, He is very much pro you. Thanks for listening to the Portable Pastor Podcast. Pastor Mike serves as pastor at the First Baptist Church in Clover, South Carolina. FBC Clover is a church that focuses on loving God, loving people, and making disciples. For more information about our church and our ministries, or to make an online donation, go to fbcclover.com or email us at fbcclover at gmail.com. Until next time, be blessed. And remember, God is pro-you.